Assalamualaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq al and I wish you a uh, Ramadan Mubarak. Blessed Ramadan to all of you. Uh, if you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thank you for tuning in. We're on every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And we are broadcasting from the wonderful city of Chicago, Illinois, uh, right downtown. Now, you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You will find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. And you will also use that same username to catch up on those podcasts, those episodes that you have missed out on that you are definitely going to want to acquaint yourself with. So you can go to wherever you get your podcast. If that's Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, iTunes, and you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Last but not least, um, of course, we're going to have our Twitter. We've got our Twitter and our Facebook pages open uh, to take your comments and questions. But if you'd like to reach us by phone, you can do that at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. All right, Radio Islam family, uh, it is good to be back with you uh, on this extremely fast hour uh, of programming uh, that we get into, uh, we're going to look up, and it is we'll we'll be saying we'll be saying assalamualaikum, we'll be saying goodbye for the night. But before that point comes, we're going to get into a uh, what I think is going to be a great conversation. I was really excited to see some of the work uh, of this gentleman, this brother that we're going to be bringing on in just a second, uh, Shiraz Ahmed. Uh, he is a uh, a filmmaker, uh, a journalist. Uh, he covers. Uh, technology, cities, culture, and community, and his work has appeared in Automotive News, Free Press Houston, Texas Monthly, and Northwestern Magazine. And we are happy to be able to talk with him on on a few different fronts. So, uh, assalamu alaikum. Waalaikumsalam. Glad to be here. All right. Yes, a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to have you. So, um, I think we should start because, I, okay, first of all, I watched the trailer for uh, Alive in Detroit. And I was just really just blown away, and I, I want I want to see the whole thing, right? But before we jump into that, I want to uh, to get into some of the the writing that you do, uh, covering something that many of us may not pay that much attention to. Uh, we were used to cars as utilities, but don't really think about uh, infrastructure necessarily until we hit a pothole. Uh, we are in love with this idea, or maybe we are totally afraid of the idea of self-driving automobiles, right? But this is something that, that you cover, and um, t tell us a bit about your foray into covering this segment of um, of reporting. Well, it's kind of funny. I rounded my way uh, into covering self-driving cars uh, when I was employed or when I started at Automotive News, which is a trade publication here in Detroit. And, you know, for the, my first couple of years in the job, they weren't. They were more kind of a, a science fictiony thing. And about a couple of years ago, in 2015, there were some major acquisitions, like billion-dollar acquisitions, that showed that major car makers like General Motors, Ford, uh, some of the European car makers, and obviously Google with its sister company Waymo, were really serious about bringing this technology uh, to our cities in the next. By everyone says by early 2020. And so I kind of fell into covering this. Um, just through my through my work on our podcast, Futurismo, and by being one of you know one of the few people in the newsroom that was really really kind of focusing in on it and and trying to find out what was going on. And a lot of it does, you know, my interest isn't naturally in cars necessarily, but I am into technology and I am into urban renewal. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the self-driving car stuff really falls into how can we make our cities run better? How can we decrease congestion? How can we in increase uh, economic activity by getting people to their jobs, even if they don't have cars. Uh, and so coming out from that angle really sparked my interest. And it's a, it's definitely an interesting field to, to cover. And it, it always leads to interesting conversations with people who aren't, like you said, really tuned into it. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the funny thing is, is that cars, whether 
we really see them this way or not, but they are a reflection of, uh, in my opinion, a, a reflection of society's values, um, whether it be uh, safety, uh, whether we're looking at uh, issues like uh, climate change now. So we, we're, we're much more focused on uh, emissions. Uh, we're focused on uh, you know, making sure that we're not using as much energy. Uh, have you seen, or well, I should ask you, do you feel that that's an accurate uh, assessment? And if so, um, do you feel that that has always been the case? I would say, yeah, it's absolutely an accurate assessment. And it's funny when you talk to, you know, there's a lot of people working in the self-driving car, future transportation space. And if you talk to them, you'll find wildly different reasons for people to be motivated. Like you said, there's a lot of people, uh, especially coming out of California, out of Silicon Valley, who are laser focused on this because they're worried about um, emissions and they're worried about keeping our grid sustainable and reducing the, I think cars are now, I want to say either it's now the first, like the biggest cause of emissions in the country today. It might be the second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, and they're really focused on reducing that. But then you have people way on the other end who are just like, wow, this is a huge business opportunity. If you look at the number of miles driven, so they may not be motivated as much by the social good, but they're like, you know, this could be, this is the future of the industry. We have to hop on this now before somebody else does. Mm-hmm. And then you have, like you said, the safety people, and, and you really have all these different motivations that bring everybody to the table. And it's really interesting seeing how some of these conversations develop because everybody has a different stake in it. In terms of, I would say, I would say, yeah, it's about how it's always been. I mean, cars are, are interesting. I never, like I said, I never really intended to, to getting into covering autos, but in terms of being a business reporter, they're one of the more interesting subjects and in, in businesses to cover because everyone feels so strongly about them. Uh, one of my sources I was talking to the other day, I asked her, she was she works in the artificial intelligence, uh, human-machine interaction space, mm. which applies to a lot of industries, and I asked her why she chose autos. And she's like, well, think about it. Can you go a day without interacting with a car, even if you don't want to? I was like, you're right. I mean, we... Whether we like it or not, they're an ever-present part of our life, uh, and they have really been since they started taking off in the 60s and 70s. Mm. You know, uh, you mentioned about, um, you know, people look at the business aspect of it, the financial uh, potential, as far as being able to introduce new technologies that will go from simply being uh, kind of a, a one-off to uh, being represented, you know, uh, going to scale. You know, we're, we're using these things, you know, across the globe. And uh, to that, it, it makes me think about how Uber has positioned itself. Uh, we talk about uh, reducing emissions and congestions. And I was listening to a report not too long ago and how they, through their Uber, Uber pool, have taken, I think they did a calculation, it was like a million miles uh, off the roads um, just through offering this service. So from a business standpoint, it's great for them, but from a from an emission standpoint, uh, it's it's you know it look, it looks like it's good for the planet as well. Uh, do you yeah, th- it's groundbreaking. A lot of a lot of people think that carpooling is going to be the the way into bringing just taking cars off the road and, and getting some of these major problems solved. I think it's the economic case there that's that's a little difficult to crack. I know Uber's had a lot of trouble just making money off of Uber Pool. Right. Right. Um, do you think with um, with manufacturers that are looked at as being on the cutting edge of um, of, of technology, uh, maybe a, a manufacturer like uh, like Tesla? Um, what do you where do you see Tesla's future? Uh, do you think it's going to survive uh, the the advancement um, in in automotive technology? Oh man, that's that's the golden question, right? If I had a great answer to that, I'd I'd probably have. I wouldn't be doing journalism. I'd be living on my yacht somewhere. Right. Uh, I mean, with Tesla, it's, it's it's a fantastic car. It's very impressive technology. Just what they did uh, the other week, where they actually improved the braking for their automatic braking just through a software over-the-air software update. I mean, that's like groundbreaking stuff. Uh, so just the way it's been engineered is excellent. If they can work through 
their problems that they're having right now with their Model 3 production Mm -hmm. and start actually getting these cars into consumers' hands and and really selling at at a wide scale, I mean... We might be talking about Tesla the way we talked about Henry Ford or or any of these other legendary um, car maker founders. On the other hand, I mean it's a hard it's a hard nut to crack, and and it takes a lot a lot of money. Uh, so I don't know. I mean I think this next year is we're really going to see what Elon Musk and what Tesla is made out of. Yeah, you know I'm I'm going back to uh, you mentioned you said one of the your sources talked about going into um, AI as it relates to uh, automotive technology just off of the the fact that we really can't go a day. I mean, at least you can't go a day in a major urban center without interacting with an automobile. Um, Do you think that with the the advancements of technology, uh, automotive technology, that that is going to result at some point? Because as our cars do more and more, they break for us, they stop us from going into oncoming traffic, uh, from changing lanes with the uh, approaching vehicle, that we'll get to a point where our reliance on this technology is going to produce a lower caliber of driver? You know, it's funny you, you asked that because that's what I was talking to to one engineer in Europe about, about why he sees uh, autonomous vehicle deployment actually speeding up. And he said that's why, you know, as you... Say I, you know, I have a backup camera in my car right now, mm. and I haven't, I haven't always had a backup camera. But now that I have it, I actually feel like when I'm not, when I'm in the car without a backup camera, I'm actually worse at reversing <laughs> and and just kind of getting into tight spaces. So I think absolutely, like our own, our own skill sets and our own gut level feelings on how to drive will probably be reduced as we gain more of these advanced safety features. But then again, I think that may have always been the case. You know, I was out on a test track the other day, and they were showing me this, um, essentially it's kind of this technology that that takes over for your power steering uh, in case your power steering goes out. And so first they showed me what it's like to have your power steering cut out. Now, like any car you drive on the road today or that we've driven in probably our lifetimes has had powered steering. And when you take it out, man, you suddenly realize how heavy a car is that you're driving. It's oh, yeah. very difficult to physically turn and maneuver. Mm. And so we're already very, very, very reliant on some of this technology, and, and we're just going to become more reliant, as you said. Yeah. Now, there's another element, uh, as I mentioned, just as far as the, the, the breadth of what you cover uh, related to um, automotive technology, uh, and that being... Uh, the the area of infrastructure. Now, with this idea or, or the reality that self-driving cars, uh, autonomous vehicles will be a reality at some point. Some forecast maybe within the next 20 years, you know, some say more and some less. But what are some of the, can you talk to us about some of the infrastructure uh, concerns that go along with that reality coming uh, to fruition? I mean, there's a there's a wide swath of concerns, and that's kind of what I report about day to day for the past year. I mean, first of all, our our infrastructure across America, as is widely known, is not in a good good shape. I mean, just our physical infrastructure is is crumbling in terms of bridges and roads, uh, even things like kind of water maintenance systems. And politically, I guess I don't I don't see necessarily where the path forward is there. Uh, for self-driving cars specifically, and, and there's some debate about this, but the way I see it is you'll probably need quite a bit of connectivity with the highways to make sure that these cars are being administered in, a, in an efficient manner and moving in an efficient manner. Mm-hmm. And that's expensive technology. I'm not exactly sure where that money is going to come from. Uh, you see some cities really really ahead of the game on this and in, installing some of these sensors in their roadways now, even though they're not really being used because we don't have smart cars on the road. Uh, cities like Vegas have, have a centralized data center. Uh, Palo Alto does as well. Some states like Florida and Wisconsin have DOT grants to, to Department of Transportation grants to install some of this technology. But to get this stuff really widespread, I mean, we're going to need a big infusion of just cash to get our, get our roads digitized and to build out on the back end to build out all those data centers and make sure, making sure uh, all this stuff is kept safely and securely because obviously cybersecurity is a big 
the big menace when everyone talks about connected cars and, and that's like in a whole nother other problem that has to be solved. Yeah, I can just imagine um, if if we're worried about people stealing our identity, right? Uh, somebody actually hijacking, and and there have been there have been depictions of this, you know, in film where a person's uh, vehicle was hijacked in that manner. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that's going to have to be have to be resolved. Um, when it comes to safety, right? The public perception, and I think that's the other. Personally, I feel like. This this move for autonomous vehicles is drawn out so that the public can catch up to the idea. Even though it was introduced, uh, it's been in in film for for the longest. I remember a movie with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and uh, he was driving like a suburban or something. And it was self driving, right? Um, but my my question for you is this: um, with the recent, I think it was last summer or. Uh, in Arizona, uh, where right, right. I think that was, that was Uber. Right. Now, so we're used to seeing or hearing about fatalities where somebody's behind the wheel, somebody's driving. But the fatality that's in that involves an autonomous vehicle, a vehicle where a, a human being is not controlling that uh, vehicle, that's not something that people are comfortable with uh, at this point. Do you think... That is simply just a matter of time before we're willing to accept uh, that type of scenario in much the same way we accept that it's inevitable with people behind the wheel. I mean, you look at the surveys out there, and, and most surveys show a majority of people are uncomfortable with the idea of losing control of a car or letting, letting control out of their grasp. But what you find on the opposite end of that, what you find... Uh, with some of these engineers who are getting in the car, some of these test drivers getting into the car, is that us as humans, and I did a lot of work uh, researching human-machine interface and talking to human factors engineers, is that we tend to over-trust this technology once we actually engage with it. And that's what you're seeing with things like the uh, Tesla autopilot feature for autonomous highway driving. Mm -hmm. uh, people tend to, tend to think that the system is more capable than it is. So I, I'm almost worried about the opposite effect. Once these cars and these systems get on the road, and you know, let's be let's be real here. Some of these technologies are out there today. They're just on really high end vehicles. Things like auto braking, lane keep assist. Yeah. Uh, people might people might overestimate what these technologies are capable of, and that would probably lead to more trouble and all sorts of liability concerns. So that's why it's incumbent on the designers of this technology to make sure that. You know, they're built for humans, even though we're going to be theoretically hands-off, uh, feed-off, eyes-off. Mm -hmm. Now, excuse me, uh, do you think that um, that there's going to be a development also as far as, uh, not, not ancillary, so to speak, but uh, like uh, replacement parts and um, having, an, having an autonomous, autonomous vehicle break down? Uh, would be quite different than having your vehicle that you're driving break down, where you'd probably have a lot more, you have a better idea, at least as to what to look for, you know, a general idea. Do you think that's going, that there's going to have to be a, a whole different protocol uh, that's in, introduced to the American public? Yeah, absolutely. And you see some of that... Uh one, you see some of that today. Some of these cars are, are getting where the, where the digital side of the car is becoming more and more important. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of like Volkswagens, where you can't even really uh, get into the car to find out what's wrong without having a special tool that syncs in with the digital infrastructure and tells you what's wrong. Uh, but in terms of self-driving cars, I mean, some of this technology, one, is, is very high-end sensor technology that are, are currently being worked down by PhDs, so you need more highly trained mechanics to actually work on it. Hmm. And two, a lot, of it, a lot of it's in the software itself, and you get into all sorts of tricky situations that you, you see kind of with smartphones, where for a while, you know, you couldn't jailbreak your, you couldn't kind of get into your phone, even though you've bought it. Mm -hmm. Because the because it would be called I think it was like copyright infringement or something you couldn't mess with the software which for you know something like a self driving car is, is probably desired but at the same time just the the sheer amount of software knowledge that we're going to expect of our mechanics is 
is going to be quite high, and, and I don't know if the American public's really ready for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you see like somebody like Waymo, who I mentioned earlier, Google's sister company. I mean, they have a deal with one of the biggest auto retailers uh, in the country, AutoNation, to have specially trained mechanics actually work on their fleet that, that incorporates that kind of software side and sensor side. You know, and, and that's the thing. We really haven't gotten too much into that, or there's not much public... Um there's not a lot of conversation around that. Uh, I was I was a mechanic for about 10 years, went to Lincoln Tech way back in the day, before um, before a lot of the technologies that we have today, you know, before backup cameras and lane assist and all that kind of stuff. So late, late 90s, well, mid 90s. Um, so I can only imagine now what certifications are gonna look like uh, and how and how that's gonna change who actually is working on the vehicles. Uh, and I guess that's just kind of reiterating uh, your point, that it's not going to be necessarily the um, the the guy in his uh, dungarees or whatever, and he's looking dirty, but it'll, it'll be a guy in a lab coat. So. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know what, um, Shiraz, we're going to take a short, a short break, uh, and when we come back, I want to switch gears. Ah, nice pun. I want to switch gears and get and talk a bit about your filmmaking. Okay. Yeah, sounds great. Okay. All right, Radio Islam uh, family, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back in just a minute. The Syrian Community Network with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Assalamu alaikum. As the blessed month of Ramadan approaches and we ask Allah for his mercy and favor, we ask that you not only keep sound vision in your dua, but that you also support it financially. Programs like Adam's World, Radio Islam, Media Trainings, The Crisis Text Line, and the Weekend School Teachers Institute are made possible by the support of listeners like you. Remember, donations made to Sound Vision are tax-deductible, as well as zakat-eligible. We appreciate your continued support and urge you to visit www.soundvision.com today. Click on the Give button and donate. Jazakallah khair. And now we have an 8-year-old on the line. Welcome to Our World Today. What's your question? Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Assalamualaikum. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are still broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, 
Let me move this mic over a little bit. I hope this doesn't make too much noise. Uh, we are also streaming on WCEV1450.com. You can keep up with us on social media, and you can also find our podcast wherever you get your podcast, and you use the same username for both, and that is at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. Last but not least, if you'd like to give us a call, you can do so at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. We are joined this evening by uh, Shiraz Ahmed. Um, He is a uh, filmmaker, uh, journalist, uh, covers uh, technology and cities, culture, community, and um, had a very interesting first segment just talking about uh, autonomous vehicles and uh, and, and all, all that lot. But now we're going to go ahead and switch gears and we want to talk with him about his film. Um, it is Alive in Detroit, right? Or is there is there a longer title than that? Or is that... Is that is no, that's not the, that's the title, Alive in Detroit. Okay. All right. And we, we're going to post... Matter of, I posted it on my personal page, but I'm going to go ahead and put it on um, Radio Slam's Facebook page as well. So... I recommend you all, you, you just want to, if you want to be teased and then just be ready to see the whole thing, you want to watch this uh, trailer. So um, how, how did this project come about for you? So this started back in, uh, well, it really goes back to 2014 when I found myself in an emergency room with my mother uh, and she was having heart chest pains, which is kind of the precursor to a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And she was told she needed immediate triple bypass surgery, but she'd been uninsured uh, for several years since she was laid off in the recession. And we we're like, oh, my God, this is going to bankrupt us, right? That can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, but she had to get it, so she, she got the surgery, she went into recovery, and then the bills started coming due. And then one day we got a letter, I'll never forget, that said um, that she was eligible for the hospital's charity care program which basically meant she could walk away healthy and whole without having to worry about debt or being chased by debt collectors for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And I was astounded. Like, I, we'd, we'd worked for years and struggled to get her insured through the marketplace, the Obamacare marketplace, and the premium's too high or there'd be this problem or that problem. And now at the last minute, this, like, curse of ours suddenly became her saving grace. Wow. And that's when I started to to really challenge some of my own beliefs in, in how healthcare operates in this country and, and what the possibilities are for free care and, and low-cost care. And I found myself in, in Detroit, you know, advocating on behalf of Obamacare when there was uh, the repeal attempts going on just after the election. Mm-hmm. And I started going to all these free clinics, clinics to do photography. I started meeting all these people that were just taking care of people. And I was like, we can just do this. I can do this whole film tracing my own personal exploration of the world of free care uh, in this city and in this country. Mm. You know, Detroit has a uh, a fascinating history. It's it's heartbreaking, but it's also uh, it's also uplifting uh, at the same time. And the uplifting aspect of it is, even though it is uh, endured uh, a drastic population um, loss. But there does appear to be, uh, it does seem like it's on the upswing in, in some areas. Um, but the one of the, the things that I took from the trailer, uh, there was a gentleman who says that, um, what was his words? His words, uh, that we are, uh, people keep, what was it, people keeping a city alive? Or was that, or was that a subtitle? But, but that just really, that just really hit me because it was, it went beyond the circumstances to say that, uh, that we are our greatest resource as a community. And um, I just, I found that really inspiring. I got to ask you, when is this going to be out? So the plan right now is I'm still, I'm still filming uh, really to the end of fall now, and then we'll hopefully have a rough cut by spring next year. Mm-hmm. So we're looking either at, at uh, my own self-release theatrical run uh, next year, or if I decide to go the festival route the following year Correct. in 2020. Okay. So is the Tumani Center that's shown in the um in the trailer is that uh, a central part or a central um uh, part of the, the backdrop of the film or are you going around to different spaces? 
It's a couple of different stories. So one is, is Dean Carpenter, who's the registered nurse at the Tumaney Center, mm-hmm. right in the heart of Detroit, uh, in, in Midtown Detroit, where you actually see a lot of development happening now. So there's kind of an interesting juxtaposition there. Another story is these HIV activists uh, who are actually very close to their faith, and they've worked for about two decades now to try and bridge the gap between the church and the HIV community. And then the third is a story about this expectant uh, teen mom I know over on 8 Mile, who's actually never, she was, she'd never been to the doctor before, but decided to go to her local uh, low-cost clinic out of concern for her unborn child, and she's working with a, a caregiver over there. So it's me kind of interacting with all these different people, trying to figure out uh, what, what we can take away from this free care and this community care uh, mm-hmm. that we can bring into our formal healthcare system to make it a little bit more humane and to, to bring down some of these barriers to access that we've artificially built up. You know, I, I don't want to jump to any conclusions. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and own my own bias in this. Uh, okay. But, <laughs> but are you... But it, it feels like when we, when we highlight free care, when we highlight people volunteering uh, to make sure that, that people, because one of the, that people get the, the care they need, um, it seems to me that the system is overcomplicated. And you just, just mentioning some of these uh, instances where, uh, where people are offering free care, it seems to be an indictment on the healthcare system as it is right now. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, you know, there's a there's a trend of all these people who have these horrible healthcare conditions or they're sick or they're ill or, or something awful has happened to them and they start like crowdfunding on the internet mm-hmm. and trying to raise money for their funds and then they they achieve their goal and they're like, you know, thank God, thanks to my community. And you're like, that's beautiful that everybody would pitch in a little bit to take care of this person, but also really messed up that people had to pitch in <laughs> yeah. to take care of this person, right? And and for for every amazing, you know, inspiring story there is, there's there's a hundred or a thousand that where the person didn't meet their funds. I'm thinking of uh, there's this one guy from my hometown in Houston, Texas, that became famous because he he'd moved back to Texas to ke- take care of his ailing mother. And just because he'd moved, he had a gap in his insurance to where he wasn't covered for a month, but he was diabetic, and so he needed his insulin. So he started wow. a crowdfunding campaign to, to pay for his month's worth of insulin and fell, I want to say, like $50 short, so he couldn't get any of the funds. And he actually passed away because he did what? not have his insulin, uh, which is, I mean, just one of many stories of people who, where, where the system does not work out. And it, like you said, it's really an indictment of how this kind of arbitrary way we've structured our healthcare system without any really sense or efficiency to it. Man, I really just want, I really want to just fume for a minute or two uh, on hearing something like that. But the fact that I'm, I'm going to take this back to, uh, to the scene of, uh, of this film uh, that you're working on, uh, and it says that 16,000 people, that was one of the, the captions. Six, 16,000 people sleep on the streets every night in Detroit. Um, and if that being the case, and then looking at other urban centers you know, around the United States where there could, they're, they're comparable numbers, maybe you know, even higher, but 16,000 is a ridiculously high number. And what goes along with that is that we're also looking at people who we should assume are probably not getting the health care uh, that they need. They're not getting screenings. They're not getting uh, health education. Um, you know, they likely have mental health, um, or not likely, but they, there's a good possibility that they have mental health concerns that are not being addressed. And it looks like, to me, the breakdown of society, and we're not really paying as much attention to it or giving the, the gravity to it that, that it deserves. Absolutely. And one of the shocking things that I found, I've been, I've been at this for about a year, meeting with people, talking to people, interviewing people. And one thing you hear is that a lot of these people living on the streets, are, they, they do have health insurance through the uh, Healthy Michigan Medicaid expansion plan that we have here in the state. Okay. But because they can't 
Uh, one thing in Healthy Michigan is they assign you a primary care physician, but they'll assign you a primary care physician that's like 10 miles away. And we have, I don't know if you know Detroit, but we have a terrible public transportation system. And so because they physically can't get to the doctor, they just never go, right? So it shows how how access to the system isn't necessarily a solution in the end, right? You need to have people who, who care. You need to have a doctor that cares about you, that that wonders why you didn't show up to your appointment, that knows what medications you're on and knows when you need to be refilled and knows where you're living and staying and, and what your situation is like at home. Like, healthcare is, is so much more than just actually getting treatment for a specific illness. It's having parts to play in and, you know, making sure you can go outside without experiencing violence or anything. Uh, and that's something I'm really trying to show in my film, to try and broaden the conversation of what healthy living is and what a healthy society looks like. Mm. Well, aside from the obvious, um, before I even ask, you know, if, I, if people say, well, what are what is the impact of violence on health? I mean, obviously one would go to, if you're the recipient of violence, you know, then obviously that's not good for your health. But just living in a community where violence is... Is, is considered the norm. Uh, what have, uh, what are your observations uh, in this time where you've been talking to different people? Uh, what have been your observations of the effects on violence um, on, on health? I mean, a big a big part of it is just not not wanting to go outside and getting the physical exercise that you know growing kids need to stay healthy. And once you, you know, it's it's shocking once you're not in a pattern or a habit of getting that exercise when you're young, you don't have that habit when you're older and you start to see things like heart disease becoming prevalent uh, or just obesity or diabetes. Some of these some of these huge health issues that Americans face, but we don't necessarily really talk about because, because it's so common. And a lot of that goes just ro- is rooted in not being able to, you know, go down the street and, and run around or play play a game of basketball or something. Uh, and that's something that's actually a big focus here in Detroit, trying to revitalize our our communal spaces so that kids and people feel free to go out and can can ride their bikes and take back the streets. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it's like you said, it's one of those inspiring things where we find that we are our own solution uh, when the system and society has failed us. Yeah, yeah. Now, there is something to, um, I, I guess, our re- a reflexive response to uh, to deprivation uh we we automatically look to see what do we have in store what can we do to uh to counter uh whatever deficiencies we have you know so if we can't if we can't make it to the doctor then we're looking for healthcare professionals in our in our midst you know if it's a a physician's assistant a nurse you know whatever uh but i want to ask as inspiring uh, as that is and it's truly inspiring uh to see people giving their time I, I really want to uh, to talk about the sustainability right how long uh, are these are these sustainable models that that'll be my, my first question I don't want to overwhelm but do you feel like what we're looking at in some of the free health care um, uh, scenarios that these are sustainable and these are uh, replicatable no no absolutely not I mean it's a system that's that's overwhelmed and is constantly dealing with the crisis of the day. So, for instance, right now we have a huge hepatitis epidemic uh, here in the city of Detroit, and we also have a huge HIV epidemic that's kind of related to the opioid epidemic uh, that's ravaging a lot of the Midwest here. And people are just overwhelmed in in terms of treating the problems today that they can't get get people to think about long-term health care implications and in preventing some of these diseases. So it's really just uh, it's an outgrowth of the, the problem. It's not necessarily a solution in and of itself, which is what I kind of discover over the course of the film. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, you know, our formal healthcare industry has its own issues, right? Like there's a, there's a bureaucracy issue. There's the issues with uh, just the fact that it's hard to get insurance. And even when you have insurance, it's hard to navigate insurance. There's a whole other industry of just people trying to help you navigate the deductibles and the premiums and finding discounts here and there. Uh, and this free care system really kind of 
thrives off off of that in a way. Like all of these big pharmaceutical companies have these programs where they can give out drugs for free. But you're like, well, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily need it if we just had affordable medication, right? Right, right. Yeah, health, healthy foods and, uh, and and all of that lot. What have you seen? Uh, well, I shouldn't say what have you seen because uh, there's so much involved with this. But uh, does your does your work, does your film also look at the impact of school, uh, early childhood education, uh, and its impact or relevance on 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 health? Not not specifically. I look at the importance of health education broadly, mm-hmm. uh, and and specifically the importance of health education for. Uh, expecting mothers, since Detroit has one of the highest prenatal infant mortality rates in the country, uh, and it's one of those issues that's really the cause of, or the cause of really simple things like uh, getting some simple checkups done or, or learning some basic information about safe habits before you deliver. Um, but but no, not specifically childhood educate healthy education. Although I'm sure that's a, probably a fascinating component and can bring in all sorts of issues we have with our public schools cutting funding to non-core subjects, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and not having uh, not having full-time nurses uh, for yeah, one, one school or, or having a nurse covering multiple schools. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a problem that is going to definitely require a, a holistic approach uh, that will incorporate just – so many different, so many different uh, facets uh, of our lives. Um, let me ask this with regard to the bureaucracy of um, of, of Detroit's healthcare system. Uh, what are some of the the things that you've seen that are kind of the, the glaring red flags that uh, even an outsider um, could see that that need to be corrected or addressed? I mean, honestly, the biggest one that I hear regularly, and it's somewhat counterintuitive is transportation. I mean, I've, I was sitting in some of these support groups for for people living with HIV and, and thriving with HIV, and, and they say, you know, when, when bureaucrats come in here and they have all these solutions and they have all these grants that they've received, and they're like, okay, we can get you housing, we can get you medication, what do you need? They're like, well, we need, we need a visit, we need to be able to get to our doctor so we can get our regular uh, prep treatments to, to treat the infection and make sure it doesn't go get into full-blown AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I mean, especially here in Detroit, that's one of the biggest, biggest issues is just making sure people can access affordable health care physically actually getting there, especially because the city was really built, it was built for cars. It's kind of a big city yeah. and the roads are wide and, and there's no real, we have a bus system, but it's it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so that definitely seems to be one of the uh, one of the improvements that needs to be made. I mean, if they're if we're going to look on a on a citywide level, uh, as opposed to just providing one ride per patient, but uh, actually expanding the the city's transportation infrastructure, um, that would seem like that would be on the top of the list. Is it that the city itself uh, is? Is just cash strapped, and I, and I've heard different reports, but is, is that simply just the case, or is it, or is it a lack of will? Um, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, and I'm <laughs> I'm no expert in this, but for one, for one, the city's tax base is, the tax base is notably diminished. Yeah. Uh, and there's not, I guess, a lot of people willing to pitch into to install a real, real thorough, thorough regional system. Uh, but then part of it's like other there's other suburbs that are not willing to entertain the idea of having a real public transit network that you see in say Chicago uh, or or Denver, um, and that's you know that's partially a financial issue and that's partially just a cultural issue and a racial issue. Um, but you you are seeing so you know, one big thing that happened here recently as it did across America is. Amazon was looking for a location for its second headquarters, mm-hmm. and Detroit was kicked off the list. And one reason they said is because you don't have a good transit network. Uh, so hopefully that really spurs city leaders and, and county officials to, to bet big on, on a, a real regional transportation solution. Yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, Shiraz, talk to us a little, a little bit about the, the overall attitude of, 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 of folks in Detroit um, that are dealing with the, uh, the lack of access or they're dealing with, um, you know, they're, they're responding the best that they can to the situations that they're in. Uh, what, what, is the, what is the attitude? Is it one of, of hope, uh, just kind of holding on? Uh, what is it? You know, it's hard. I mean, I see a lot of hope. You see a lot of aspiration. But at the same time, people people realize things are kind of messed up, right? It's not it's not a big secret, and, and you see it every day. I think it's a, it's, it's a story of people who are really striving to be better and striving to be healthier and striving for, for a better future. But in a lot of cases, in, in a lot of really tragic cases, falling short, and, and some of these solutions are, are very obviously short-term. Say, so that teaser trailer I filmed, a lot of it was filmed over one day before last winter in early November where I went out with this uh, street medicine Detroit group uh, to treat people on the street. And one thing they were doing was giving out these, uh, like, sleeping bag coat convert, like, these coats that convert into sleeping bags so people can stay warm in this, in this brutal winter we had. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something like that. We're like, okay, this is great. You know, keep them alive over the next couple of months. But then you're like, but then what, right? right. Uh, so people are, it's, it's hopeful, but there's a lot of anger. I think people realize that they're being screwed over. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your main objective? Um, what is your main hope for the film? What What are the next steps uh, after its release? Uh, honestly, my my big hope is to to fundamentally change. I think this is a you know, modest goal. I want to fundamentally change the healthcare debate in this country. Mm. So what I like to say is so that the first question you get when you go into the doctor's office isn't what insurance do you have, it's where does it hurt. Right? Mm. I think we focus too yeah. much on the mechanisms of getting people treated and not enough on the, the actual barriers to getting treated. And a big part of that is cost, mm. but it's also you know, just having insurance. It's knowing how to navigate that insurance. It's knowing how to have to be able to pay for co-pays. It's stigmatization towards certain elements of the population. Right, If you're transgender today, it's much harder to get reasonable health care mm-hmm. because so few medical professionals can understand what a transgender life is like and and what kind of care you need. Uh, so I think we really, like you said earlier, we need to, to rethink how we think about healthy living in this country so we're not just treating people when they show up uh, in the emergency room. We're actually helping them learn how to build healthier lives and learn how to, how to treat themselves and take care of themselves so we can reduce the cost across the entire industry. Mm. Well, uh, you know what? I, I think it's good that you have this modest goal <laughs> 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 of fundamentally changing uh, the discourse on, around health care. Um, but, you know, there's something that comes to mind, uh, and I think it's a subconscious realization that anybody who, who has ever dealt with uh, lack of financial resources uh, or, or has not had insurance and shown up uh, at a healthcare facility at a hospital, and complained about a problem to be greeted with, where's your insurance? It is almost a dismissal uh, right. of the individual, uh, and that in itself, um, that in itself has to have that. There's an impact for that type of a repeated uh, interaction uh, going on, where you are just your humanity is almost just like erased because you can't afford. Uh, insurance, or you don't, well, for whatever your reason is. I mean, you ju- you just talked about a a, a brother that that died because he couldn't he couldn't get his uh his his insulin. That that is uh, that's atrocious. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, to the release of the film. I, I pray that uh that that the, the work continues going well and that you are definitely successful uh, in that goal because uh, it's very much needed. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Where so the trailer should be coming out soon, like a fuller trailer that kind of talks about my own story and shows some of the other stories from uh, from the film. And 
you know, after that, we're just fundraising and, and getting ready for our final kind of two, three weeks of production to get the rest of the film wrapped up. So I'm really, I'm really excited for the rest of this year. And, and uh, rightfully so. Uh, before we let you go, would you go ahead and tell the Radio Slam family where they can uh, keep up with you on uh, your website, social media, all that good stuff? Yeah, you can find uh, all our links at AliveDetroit.org and sign up for the uh, soon-to-be forthcoming regular monthly email that will tell you how you can support the project. Uh, a lot of this will be like I'll be looking for stories from across the nation of people who have struggled with insurance, people who have struggled with costs, uh, so we can highlight how this is really a national problem and how uh, you know it's not, it's not really just a problem for poor people, right? Everybody has struggles with health care. Sure. Um, so I'd love to hear from anyone who's, who's having issues right now. So it's AliveDetroit.org. AliveDetroit.org. Okay, well, you know, keep us up to date. Any way we can uh, help to uh, uh, pr- promote that, that work, uh, we're happy to do so because uh, this affects all of us. Great, so. thank you. And thanks for having me on. It was a real real joy talking to you. Likewise, likewise. All right, Radio Islam family, our guest has been Shiraz, Shiraz Ahmed. Um, and he is a filmmaker, and we just got through talking about um, his film Alive in Detroit that will be coming out, uh, as well as a journalist. Uh, you can check our Facebook page because we're going to make sure that we do put up uh, the link for that film as well. And we thank you. Once again, I told you at the uh, top of the hour that this is a, a quick hour, so we are about to get on out of here. Thanks for tuning in. We want to thank our engineer over at WCEV, Ramon. Thank you very much, sir. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Bake, uh, who's also our producer for tonight. And we thank, who else do we thank? I'm going to give myself a thank you for, just for being here. All right. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. And uh, we remind you, the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of the Sound Vision Foundation. That being said, enjoy the rest of the evening. Look forward to tomorrow, God willing. We're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.